Welcome to the TLT Movement Podcast, a podcast for tomorrow's leaders today. We're here with Larry Swicart. He is an author of many books. You said you wrote over like 30 books? Yeah. That's awesome, including Patriots History of the United States. Very cool. I love U.S. history, so I'm sure this will be a fun combo. Anything challenging is going to be hard. And so what? Hard could be the new fun. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Who's going to carry the boats? Endeavor to persevere. If you want to be a good leader, you have to understand human nature. I never look back, but it distracts from the now. You, uh, you, you were telling me over there at your booth that you not only write about history, but you're a part of it. I, I mean, lived it. I you lived you it. lived it, baby. <laughs> How old are you? Okay, so I'm 71 now, and uh, when I got out of high school, when I was in high school, I wanted to play the drums. My mother always wanted me to play piano. She bought mm-hmm. a piano. I went to piano lessons <laughs> all my young life, hated every minute of it. I wanted to play drums. Finally, in high school, she relented and let me start playing drums. I got in the high school band, marching band. I started my own bands, and so I played all through high school and college, and literally the weekend after I got my uh, graduate, my, my degree in uh, political science, undergraduate degree, that weekend I was in a van headed out to go on the road with bands, and I stayed on the road for the next several years. Nice. So you toured the country. You got to see it that way. All but seven states, yeah. Wow, that's so cool. What's uh, some prominent bands that you've gotten the chance to play with? Well, uh, we were this close to making it big. We were opening for Steppenwolf and Savoy Brown, James Gang. Our friends were the Allman Brothers. Nice. And uh, I remember we were out in Hollywood on... Uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, the Tropicana Hotel, which is where we were living. And uh, you don't live in a house if you're in a band. You live in hotels. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And so I'm standing by the pop machine there, and this green Corvette comes screaming up. And this guy with blonde hair down to his waist crawls out. It was Greg Allman. And he was so messed up, so wasted. He was trying to put a quarter in the pop machine. Soda pop used to cost a quarter. He's trying to put a <laughs> Back quarter in the, in the pot machine. He was so messed up he couldn't put a quarter in the machine. I go, here, Greg, let me help you. He goes, wow, man, thanks. And, and he <laughs> said, I made two mistakes in my life. I did drugs and I married Cher. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's great. So, so you've been a part of the rock and roll history. How do you think rock and roll has influenced the country? Well, let's say the world. Rock and roll music. Uh, many people don't understand this because some people on the right hate rock and roll. Sure. I'm never going to be a part of that rock and roll. Yeah, <laughs> and um, but rock and roll is the music of freedom, mm. and the reason is that rock, jazz, country, bluegrass uh, are all a part of the same musical tree. And if you think about it, all rock songs start with a band playing together as a group. They end with the band playing together as a group. But right in the middle, you have the solo, Mm. right? And this is a perfect image of America because we do things together. We come together, but we never, ever lose our individual identity. Wow. And that message came across to people behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, In 2010, I did a documentary movie called Rockin' the Wall. And we interviewed about 100 rock and rollers, and we interviewed people from the other side of the Iron Curtain. 
and they said rock and roll meant everything to us because uh, it was a music of freedom, even when we couldn't understand the lyrics. We knew it was a music of freedom, right? Wow, that's so powerful. And, and I had this guy, a Hungarian student activist, who was also a rock drummer, and they kept shutting down his concerts, the communists did. And so he left. He, he got out, he escaped through a tunnel from Yugoslavia to Austria, and they only had enough room. It's literally out of a movie. The trains were so big, the trains had grown over time, and there was only enough room to stand in a crevice there when one of these trains came Oh, through. no way. And so he gets on the other side, and he became a huge music producer in Germany. So big, if you Google his name, uh, Leslie Mandoki, M-A-N-D-O-K-I, you'll see images come up with him with Bill Clinton, him with Tony Blair, and him with Mikhail Gorbachev, and Gorbachev visits his house. And he says, Leslie, we could keep out movies. We could keep out written books. We could never keep out rock and roll music. And then Gorbachev said this line that we have in the movie. Rock music fundamentally changed the world. It brought down the Iron Curtain. Whoa. That just sent chills down my spine. That's so interesting. I've been among the belief for a couple years now that music it goes beyond just sounding good i mean there's it's vibrational Absolutely. energy that oh, yes. genuinely affects every cell well that's I mean, why hitler used the low sound pulses in his mass meetings to get ooh, people agitated right. right wow that's so so interesting that's but so you know cool. and i love today's music i'm not one of these people oh nothing made since 1970s any good <laughs> yes there's fantastic music out there um you know, I, I love the uh, Chainsmokers, Imagine Dragons. Uh, I love the Killers, groups yeah, like this. Yeah, yeah, um, But what you do see is that the music has changed. It's compressed so much into everything's digital. You've lost a lot of that very warmth and the very energy that you were mm. talking about earlier, right? Right. And the other big change is that you no longer have the sax solo. You no longer have the guitar solo. What do you have in the middle of every song? The rap solo, right? Right. <laughs> right. Or... Or the dubstep beat. Where right, it's like, right, 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 right. And, and the reason for this is obvious. <laughs> they're they're cross-marketing, trying to get rap people to listen to Ariana Grande and trying sure. to get Ariana Grande people to listen to, well, let's see, who's not dead this week? Every week in my news column, <laughs> I go through a rapper who's been killed. So you got to always watch out. Before you reference a rapper, you got to make sure he's still alive. Right. Day, is it, you know? Right. Oh, that's so hilarious. You know, I, I've talked to some people who think that rap music is... Uh, Resonating at a kind of a lower energy, to try to bring us down. Not, 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 not all of it, yep. but but a good bit of it is. Uh, it's not as energetic as the rock and roll was. It's not as. Uh, I, I I love what you were saying about how rock and roll is the music of freedom, and I've right. I, I've never heard that. That's so right. interesting and cool. And and you know, modern rap, there is a lot of it. A lot of it that is nasty and dirty and low right uh, but i was totally wrong in the 90s when it first came out i said this won't last because to me the the transition point is when you get somebody like the beatles going from a rock and roll band in front of people to elevator music right, right. what well, you hear on elevators right you hear michelle my bell or yesterday or <laughs> stuff like that and uh, you know that as a rock band, when you're on an elevator, your career is over, man. You just <laughs> find something else to do. Cause it's, but rap never made that transition, but it didn't need to. I guarantee you there's not 10 fans of rap who can sing or say the lyrics to a rap song oh, from 20 sure. years ago. Oh, sure. But it's constantly new churn, new stuff. 
And one of the things I've noticed about modern music, maybe you've noticed this too, it's not overwhelming, but it's very strong. There's a current of nostalgia. And you listen to Adele, you know, when we were young. You listen to the song Deathbed about the guy who's on his deathbed. And mm-hmm. he's only, what, 25? But he's, right. he's looking back. Or you listen to Ed Sheeran talking about uh, Castles on a Hill back when we were kids. Dude, you're 30. <laughs> right, right. Right? You are still a kid. And, and there's, <laughs> But there's a lot of songs like this where young people in their 30s are kind of looking back almost with nostalgia. I'm going... <laughs> I'm 71. You got a ways to go before you need to be having those thoughts. Oh yeah, I mean I'm 22, and I and my my wife and I talk about it all the time. Oh, the early 2000s, such a different time. It was so <laughs> so peaceful, so nice. <laughs> yeah, right. We only had wars against Somalia, wars against right. Al Qaeda. I mean, I, yes. I think it was just we were young and, and ignorant right. and just didn't know what was really going on. And now that we're cognizant and like can look around and see what's happening, it scares us a little bit. Well, you look at. Um, Antifa and BLM, or so-called Antifa. Right. And BLM, you go, oh, there's never like this. Excuse me? (laughs) What were the 60s? You had like 200 riots in cities where literally the National Guard had to be brought out every single time. Chicago had uh, 25,000 hippies battling with 11,000 cops in the streets. You know? Wow, yeah. Battling, I mean fighting, physical contact there. Wow. Do you think there's a reason why... Maybe the media or our current situation, they're trying to make it seem like, oh, this is the craziest that it's ever been? There's certainly a move to, obviously, for a push for world government. You see it with all the globalist leaders like Bill Gates and right. George Soros. And I'm not saying this out of a conspiracy. It's, it's just a fact. It's right. clearly what these people want. They say it. The world economic. Oh, we want everybody to live on less and be happy. Yeah. They, 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 didn't they just have a thing last week where they are like, right. yeah. And Zelensky went there to plead for more money. Like, uh, you know, right. I think U.S. ought to declare itself a state of Ukraine so we could get money from the U.S. <laughs> but, yeah, that'd be uh, nice. You know, yes, there is a push to make people think that, that it's, it's one um, tragedy, one chaotic event after another. And part of that big part is the 24-hour news cycle. It started in 91 with CNN. And mm-hmm. So you got to fill that time. Yeah, I mean, that's been my whole life. I, I just recently learned, actually, this year that it used to just be, it used to just come on at night for 30 hour, minutes. For 30 minutes, that's it? Yeah. Wow. And they would just hit all the stuff that happened that day, and it's not on this constant repeat right. where it's just the same new couple stories over and over. And, I mean, the thing and, that frosts me, I, I, I get almost all of my news off the web. I don't watch any news show. I don't even watch faux news after 2016. But, sure. Um, uh, what you see are these people, bombshell, breaking, right. and it's nothing. It's, you know, so-and-so, I, I Monkey refuse. Monkey pox this, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I refuse on my weekly newscast. I do a little thing for UncoverDC.com where I take the top 20 to 40 stories a day, and I just read the headline, and then I make a snarky comment. And, <laughs> Sounds and like a can, fun show. <laughs> you can get the whole thing there, right? But um, the, the, I refuse to do... Ted Cruz blasts uh, at, at Kinzinger on who cares what somebody says. Right. Right. It's it's more about action. Right. Wow. So you what's your favorite part of US history? Because you've you've written 30 books. What's your favorite era? Is it this rock and roll era that you've been describing, or do you look back on maybe an age that you weren't alive in and and do a lot of research into that and find it's 
find it interesting. Well, obviously, I love the rock and roll era only because people today don't realize that we were in the midst of a, a renaissance era period in America where you had people like Jimi Hendrix and, and Cream and The Doors and, and the, the Beatles, obviously, and all these bands that were just making at the time brand new, shockingly great music, that, right? That still holds up today. Today, I mean, oh, yeah. I know there's high school graduations where they play 70s era music to cross the stage. Oh yeah, big time. So, but I am enamored with the 1820s and 30s, only because to me that's the birth of American politics as we know it today. Before the 20s, you wouldn't recognize political America. We didn't have nominating conventions. We didn't have, um, uh, the majority of people couldn't vote because they weren't landowners. Right. Uh, you, you didn't have people announcing for office and running. You were selected by a group of people who went to a caucus, the caucusoids. And, and it, it was nothing like it is today with two political parties. We really didn't have two parties in the sense the Federalists and the Republicans were not at all like what we have today. So the whole birth of what we have today starts in the 20s as a result of, of um, Andrew Jackson losing that election. That's very interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, it, everything began then. Martin Van Buren set up a political party called the Democrats today mm -hmm. that was based on patronage or spoils or rewarding people for getting out to vote for you by paying them off, by bribing them. What a concept. Yeah, and it hasn't changed today, right? Yeah, right. So now, Absolutely. if you're Ron DeSantis, you go to the homeschool convention. I support homeschooling. Everybody, yay, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Or if you're uh, uh, Joe Biden, you go to some uh, environmental wacko convention. I support strengthening the, the environment laws. Yay. And, and you're just giving out money. to. And I'm not knocking anybody. That's the way it's done today. Right. Did, did the U.S. invent that kind of system of politics? Or Yes. Yeah? Wow. That's totally Martin Van Buren. Wow. I have a book called Seven Events That Made America, and my first chapter is Martin Van Buren Has a Nightmare and Creates the Political Party System. What do you think Martin Van Buren would think if, if he was transported from his age to 2022, seeing what his creation has become? I, I think he would go, Oh, hell no. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. This was not what I wanted to have happen. That right. I want, his goal was to keep slavery from being discussed oh. so that he would prevent a civil war. It was a noble goal. He wanted to keep a civil war from hitting America. Right. But his method for doing it was to reward people with money for shutting up about their ideological convictions. Mm. And so if you were an anti-slave northerner, he would reward you with jobs, but you're position say as a congressman would be to never bring up slavery mm. in any circumstance interesting and part of his system was to keep the states strong and the federal government weak so the federal government could never do away with slavery the problem is the two don't go together when you start growing government by giving away jobs it's like one of those horror monsters in, in the movies where the girl's at the sink talking on her phone. Oh, we're just going to have such a good time when we get together. And the monster's behind <laughs> her going, bloop, bloop. you're going, turn around, girl, turn right, around. Right. And, and she's, oh, yes, oh, you know Billy, he's going to be there. <laughs> and the monster's going, bloop, bloop, bloop. oh, he's going to eat your girl, turn around. You know, and then 1860, here comes an anti-slave Republican, and it's too late. The government's big. Right. And now even if he doesn't want to act on slavery, he will do so just by appointing judges, marshals, tax collectors, uh, 
tariff guys, newspaper editors, uh, postmasters, however the government operated, it was going to somehow affect the South, and they go, well, we can't tolerate this, we're going to leave. You know, that's very interesting, this, this period of time that you're talking about, because being far removed from it, it, it seems pretty obvious to me that the Founding Fathers had anti-slavery mindset, even right. though they owned some slaves. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people my age, they'll look back and go, oh, those, those men's opinions aren't valid because they own slaves. But look at what they were doing, what they wrote down. It was very much like, hey, let's become the first country to go down a path where we don't need that anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to talk about the time in between that and the Civil War where it was taboo. You didn't want to bring it up. You didn't want right. to talk about it because... Broke up families. Right, because everywhere in the world they used slaves right. forever. And so it, it, I could see both perspectives during that time period. I think it's very obvious to say now slavery is wrong and it's right. bad. But for well, all of mankind and all throughout the world, slavery was how was the status quo. how you did think. Right. Yeah. Um, when Jefferson wrote the words, all men are created equal, there was no society on the face of the earth that had banned slavery. Not mm. one. Right. The English were talking about maybe somehow, someday doing something, but nobody had done it. But what's interesting is the word slave or slavery does not appear in the Constitution. They talk about unfree, wait for it, persons. Uh-oh. So what the early Republicans who followed Van Buren uh, did, the early anti-slave people, they figured out that phrase was in the Constitution, unfree persons. And they began right then a, a long-term strategy of making slavery about personhood where the person has a, a work situation, a status, but it's not the, the person is still a person. Mm. And that was huge because... The slave states wanted to define a slave as property. Right. And this fight over the definition of what or who is a slave is what gave the Republicans the edge to finally get rid of slavery. Their definition won. I would imagine the youth that are uh, hearing this podcast right now, they're going, wait, 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 what? Republicans being anti-slave? I thought it was the other way around. Has... Has the political parties, have the ideologies kind of switched, or is it just being talked about and disguised in certain ways where it feels... Because I, I have never met a Republican that's pro-slavery today, <laughs> but I, I know a lot of liberal people that believe that that's how the Republicans think. Sure. Well, maybe if you go to a libertarian convention, you hear a lot of people talk about states' rights in the context of, of the South and... Ultimately, that gets down, I think, to a concept of slavery because the Southerners, when they used the term states' rights, they only had one right in mind, and that was the right to own a slave. Mm. That's why they put it in the Confederate Constitution three times. Wow. And anybody who said, well, Civil War isn't about slavery, you might want to talk to the Confederates because they thought it was all about slavery. Right. So the issue is that um, I don't think the parties have changed. Um, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible. Jesus said you can't get good fruit from a bad tree. Mm. So you cannot get good fruit from the Democrat Party because its purpose for being, its reason for being created was to protect and preserve slavery. You might create wow. another party that has some of their ideas, but not from that party because they're, they're a bad tree. And no, the parties haven't switched at all. Martin Luther King was a Republican. 
uh, Sonny Liston was a Republican. Um, the Republicans voted in much higher percentage for the Civil Rights Act in 65 than did the Democrats. Wow. No, they have not switched. What switched was in 1936, after four years of giving away money, Franklin Roosevelt successfully bribed enough black people to come into the Democrat Party. Mm. And, and it's been stuck in this thought pattern for many decades now. And I, I would even go as far to say that the policies put in place by modern-day Democrats as far as food stamps goes, welfare, disability, all this stuff, it incentivizes not a specific race, just Americans as a whole, to live in a certain type of slavery. I Absolutely. mean, this might be a little controversial to say, but uh, I look at slavery back in the day. They, they would work for free, but they'd get fed food, they'd get somewhere to sleep. And, right. and, and what are we doing today with the welfare system? It gives you just enough to eat, just a place Housing to sleep. Housing vouchers, education, yes. medical vouchers. They, What's really the difference? Right. And this is why... Uh, here's a name that you probably don't know. Um, George Fitzhugh. Ever heard of him? I have not. This is by design. Leftist historians don't want to talk about George Fitzhugh at all. He was the number one advocate for slavery in the antebellum period. He wrote a book called Cannibals All. And in that, he was a big admirer of Karl Marx and socialism. And he says in his book, slavery is the perfect form of communism. <laughs> because we provide people everything we need. And, and, and he said, it's a burden. It's a burden to be a master. You know, it's just a horrible thing to be a master. And wow. these, these slaves have it so good. And he said wow. that the northern workers, and describe what you said, that, that they're the real slaves because they have to work all day and they have all these responsibilities. And the southern slaves, they're so free of responsibility. They're just free. And, of course, every liberal historian today has got out there a racer going, right. get this guy out of here. We don't want him talking <laughs> about how slavery is communism. Right. I mean, but it is. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a state-run <laughs> slavery. So here's a, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Here's how our listeners today, you might ask, why does everybody hate Russia so much today? Just... 30 years ago, didn't they love the communists in Russia? I mean, we, the Russians couldn't do anything wrong. They, they were wonderful. All the American left thought they were just terrific guys. What happened? In the 1990s, they got rid of communism. Mm -hmm. That's why Vladimir Putin is so hated today, is that they got rid of communism, and the number one communist nation in the world before China the shining example, the more industrialized example, said, no, communism doesn't work. And Russia will never be forgiven for that. And that's why the whole Western world is turned on. Said, you wow. denied Jesus. You denied communism. Right. Wow, that is very, very interesting. Well, uh, Harry, thank you so much for being sure. with us today. Where can people go and buy your books? It's on Amazon. You can you can find it in any bookstore. And you can, of course, get on my website, thewildworldofhistory.com, where I sell a full curriculum, U.S. history for high schoolers, based on this. And I have a full world history curriculum also based on the same ideas. Awesome. Well, th right. thank you. Thanks. Thanks.